Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. I'm going I'm to speak to you today on this subject. There's no stage that's too small for greatness. There's no stage that's too small for greatness. Here's the text, Micah 5. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little, everybody say little, among the thousands of Judah, yet out of these he shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Though you be little, he will come forth that will rule Israel. Out of a small stage is going to come a great big leader. Amen? No stage is too small for greatness. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor today. And you may be seated. You're awesome people. And we're going to baptize some folks. I'll be through in just a little while. Merry Christmas, everybody. For centuries, for centuries, this little township of Bethlehem labored and toiled under the shadow of the famous and renowned Jerusalem. Jerusalem was home to the palace. It was home to the throne and the reign of kings. Jerusalem could boast of tenants like Saul and like David and like Solomon. Jerusalem could brag about famous buildings like the palace and the temple that routinely attracted visitors and royalty of all kinds from around the world. And there were seven beautiful mountains that only, not only provided protection but provided beauty for Jerusalem. They each had probably been ascended by a patriarch, a prophet of old, men who were close to the heart of God and who could point to its pinnacles and to its precipices and declare, I met with God at that place in Jerusalem. How about you, Bethlehem? What do you have that I ain't got, Jerusalem could say. What do you possess that I don't have? To this day, Bethlehem, right now, can boast of only one main street and a community of about 3,000 folks. The most significant claim to fame in the time of Micah's prophecy was that it had been a home to a man named Jesse, maybe you recognize that name, whose son was a ruddy-complexioned, lion-killing, bear-tearing, giant-defying shepherd boy named David. But God does not usually choose great places to do great things. He rarely, if ever, selects great and renowned people to do his highest and best work. His purpose, his prerogative, his practice is to declare, let us make man after our image. And then he goes to a dusty place, a place that has been overlooked by some and ignored by others. And at that place of no account, he begins, just where dirty is, he begins to form and fashion and create with his own hands. And out of that obscurity, he makes what no one else has ever made, ever seen before. He makes A man. He takes a marred vessel that others have thrown away and he works with that vessel 
And he talks to it by words like, come on now, let me work with you. Let me put you back on the potter's wheel again. I've got to take some stuff out of you. I've got to put some stuff in you. But it's going to hurt a little. But just wait till you see what I'm going to do with you and how you're going to be when I get finished with you. And the clay works with him and yields to him and responds to him. And he makes it again another vessel, beautiful, uniquely fashioned for the master's use. This great God of ours takes great delight in repairing bruised reeds, the Bible said, and relighting smoking flaxes. That's what God does. So Bethlehem, you've got to be patient. Don't be discouraged. You have a promise. You have a word from the Lord. And if you have a word from the Lord, it will come to pass. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Though thou be little, everybody say little, amen. among thousands, he shall come forth. Say he shall come forth. One author said it this way, I like it. He said he was born in an obscure village. He was a child of a peasant woman. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30 years old. And then he traveled around the country, stopping long enough to talk and look and listen and help where he could. He never attended a university. He never wrote a book. He never had a hit recording project. He never ran for public office. He never did any of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. But all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that ever set sail and all the rulers that ever ruled and all the kings that ever reigned on this earth all put together have not affected the life of man on earth like this one solitary life. So not only was Jesus born in Nowheresville, Bethlehem, Nowheresville, Judea, he was also raised in No Goodsville, Galilee. No Goodsville. John chapter 1, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, whom the law and Moses has talked about, the prophets, and he did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Any good thing? Philip said to him, Come and see. See, Nathaniel's crack to Philip on Nazareth was not to say it was a bad place, not to say it was an evil place, not to say it was a place that you never want to be around or producing people of dubious reputation, but rather, Nazareth was simply a place of no consequence. Nothing ever happened there. No one important ever came out of there. Nazareth never made the headlines and was never nominated for community of the year. But what that obscure Bethlehem had given birth to was now growing and being nurtured in a small stage called Nazareth where nothing good ever came out. He was laboring in anonymity at a carpenter shop, but make no mistake, all of heaven was riveted on every move he made and every word that he spoke. You see, my friends, Bethlehem was not too obscure in the mind of God to cradle the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Nazareth wasn't too inconsequential and a one in a dozen carpenter shop not too insignificant to nurture the Savior of the world. Amen. Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but the Son of Man came to minister and give his life for a ransom for many. See, Jesus scooped up a lot of wood shavings before he ever rode in the sand one day. He made a lot of fishing poles at that carpenter shop before he ever called fishers of men. He hung a lot of cabinets in folks' home before he ever hung on a cross. And Christ, you hear me now, would give honor to his place of birth, not derive honor from his place of birth. Because he was called Jesus of Nazareth. That was the locator designation of Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. That's mentioned 17 times in the Bible. He never was called Jesus of Jerusalem. He was always called Jesus of Nazareth. 
because he actually gave Nazareth credence, hallelujah, by the life that he lived and the story that he told and the miracles that he gave to us. So something good did come. Can you say amen? Out of Nazareth. Jesus put Nazareth on the mount. Now let me talk to you. There's a lot of people at church on this Sunday that look back on this Sunday and you look around at church and you say, wow, I wish I'd have had their upbringing. I wish I'd have had the home they were born in. I wish I was raised with a dad, with a mom like they had. And nobody, nobody is really proud sometimes of their past. Nobody is really proud. Many of us are kind of halfway proud because we know we did it better than somebody else. But many of us come here today saying, you know what, Pastor? I can tell you, my life fits right with Jesus Christ. I was born in Nowheresville, and I was raised in No-Goodsville by some no-good people. My dad was this, my mom was this, and all these things. But I think Jesus told us this story. I think the, the writers of the gospel told us this story for more than just saying he was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth. I think they were telling us that, hey, it doesn't matter what your past was. It doesn't matter what your birth record says. It doesn't matter what your, what your environment says. What matters is do you define it or do you let it define you? Amen. Now, I believe when Jesus came into our lives, he made us a brand new creature. Anybody, anybody a new creature in Christ today? I think old things are passed away. I think all things have become new. I think with Jesus Christ in our boat and in our life, we can do anything and everything that God allows us to do in the kingdom of God. There's nothing impossible with us. I remember my last few months in seminary, cemetery, whatever you want to call it. I began to become concerned about my future. You know, what am I going to do? I mean, what am I going to do? Well, I, I thought, well, I could just say I wasn't a preacher and go to Vietnam because I had a real passion to go. I really did. But I said, you know, God's, God's called me to minister, and I know I've got to minister. And I, I'd heard of some big churches in, in America that was looking for some wonderful, bright, uh, didn't have to be handsome, thank God, there, but bright kids that would maybe come and help them in a student staff or student pastor or something, you know. And I thought, well, I heard my name tossed around. But when it came down to the time that I was ready to leave, there wasn't any calls. It was just rumors. It was a rumor mill. And so... I decided, you know, I'm just going to go out and start preaching. And so I went home and I, and, and I said, God, I, I need somebody to call me. Nobody's called me. I'm going to evangelize, but nobody's called me. And so I, I got this call. I, I went to my pastor. I went to my pastor before I went home. I went to my pastor. I said, Pastor, I want to evangelize. Can you set me up with some churches? i never forget what he said. He said, Son, I could, but I can't call my friends and have you come and speak at their church right now because you're not quite good enough to talk in their churches. That hurt my feelings. And then he made this statement, and I love this. He said, your depth is too shallow. <laughs> I, call him, I call him every now and then now. He's 85 years old, and I love him, and he, he's so proud of me. And I told him, I said, Papa K, I got something to preach today, but my depth may be a little shallow for you today. I don't know if I need to run this by. He still laughs to this day, and that's been 45 years ago. So he told me, he said, you need to go preach at places like, like small churches, storefronts. You need to... You need to he told me, he said, you, you, you need to develop your ministry there. So, so in my first year, I preached in metropolitan areas like Walnut Hill, Louisiana. The church was beside a cemetery. Just thought I'd share that with you. They didn't have far to go when they buried somebody. Just went out there and buried them right next door. 
I preached at a place outside of the Ritter called Shady Grove. I preached at a place called Gretna, which was a suburb of New Orleans. I preached at Camp 8. Camp 8, they had seven people and they called it Camp 8. They was hoping for more. I preached in Anacoka, Louisiana. I preached in Garrison, Texas. I, I, I preached at Noble. I preached at Manny. I preached in all these little Louisiana towns. And, and, and they, I mean, they didn't hardly have a red light in them. They hardly have a red light in them. But I read something. I read something years ago. I read something that, that I want to share with you uh, sometime back. I, I, and, I, and I saw it again. A man said it a long time ago. A man must find his voice before he finds his subject. Now, are you with me? Now, I want to preach a little bit. A man's got to find his voice before he finds his subject. So, what he was saying was, a man's got to discover his identity and who he is and what he's about before he can ever step into any realm that God can use him in. And as long as I was repining and trying to think that nobody loves me, and I had 15 people to preach to last night, some of these men my same age were preaching to five, six, seven hundred people, and here I was preaching 15, I got to feeling pretty sorry for myself. But God was doing something in that adversity in my life. He was developing a voice for me. He was developing the fact that I was used of God just like anybody else. I may be preaching to 20, but I wouldn't be preaching to 20 the rest of my life. He gave me a voice. And when God gave me a voice, he put a subject in my life. He put something in my heart. And you know what? You're my subject today, folks. Amen. I get to preach to the greatest church in America every Sunday morning because God gave me a voice back yonder. Are you with me today? Jesus Christ, even when he was a 12-year-old boy, Jesus Christ was a 12-year-old boy was in the temple. His parents lost him and left him in the temple, went on a, a journey and took three days to find him coming back. And when Mary got him, she grabbed him, I guarantee by the nap of the neck, he's a 12-year-old kid. She said, get out of here. You're going with us. And he said, I must be about my father's business. She said, yeah, I know that. But what Mary recognized that even Jesus in the flesh didn't recognize was that it wasn't time for his voice. Thus, he knew the subject but he didn't have the voice for the subject. He was just a 12-year-old boy. She said, come on here. And she took him back down to Nazareth, 1,500 feet lower than Jerusalem, and said, you're going to train in a carpenter shop. You're going to learn how to be a man that makes things, and you're going to learn how to put things together. You're going to learn how to be a servant. You're going to learn how to serve somebody, and I'm going to be your mama and watch out for you. And then when he went to the wilderness to face the devil, before his ministry started, he had a voice. He had a voice that was greater than any temptation that the enemy could bring on him. Here's what I want to say. Some people want a big subject, but they don't have the attitude and the voice to reach that subject. And some people have a voice and they have no subject. And so they're just a mouth wandering in the wilderness. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. God wants to give you a voice in your life today by telling you it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter who you were kin to. What matters now is that you belong to Jesus Christ. And you need to open up your mouth and say without altercation or, or any kind of hesitation, I am a child of God today. Come on, you need to open your voice today. Say it. I'm a child of God today. I'm tired of people making excuses. You know, we, we have to preach too much about going through stuff. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about this going through stuff. The only place you're ever going to get your voice is in adversity. You're not going to get your voice standing on a huge stage. You're going to get your, your voice when you're in that closet of prayer. Jesus said it. He said it this way. He said, 
Go into your closet of prayer and shut the door. And your heavenly father who sees you in secret. Your heavenly father who sees you labored in anonymity. Your heavenly father, the, your audience of one. When he sees your faithfulness. Your willingness to do your best no matter how many are in the audience. He will reward you openly. Here's what I want to say. Can you praise him when you're all by yourself tomorrow? Come on. Can you love him when nobody else is around? Can you give him praise when there's not a choir up here singing? Can you talk to him when there's nobody saying, come on, son, you got it made. Come on, God's with you. Here's what I'm telling you. It's time for somebody in this house to get their voice and to understand who you are in the kingdom of God. You are important. You are special. And it doesn't matter if he was born in a, in a Beth, Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. It does not matter. What matters is that God Almighty came robed in the flesh so you would know it doesn't matter what your past was. You claim what your present is and you step into your destiny tomorrow. Are you with me? It's like that little old boy got out of Bible college, you know. Little old kid got out of Bible school. He was sent to fill a pulpit one night. And it was a stormy night, a snowy night, and one old rancher showed up, and he, he got up, and he said, well, I don't think I need to preach tonight because nobody's here. And the old rancher went up to him and said, son, I'm here. Preach to me. I, w- I want to put this on the screen. Don't ever allow the presentation of your gift to be determined by the estimation of your audience. I've preached more without amens than I have with amens. But I know when I've got a hold of something from God, God wants this church to get its voice in 2015 like it never has. And not come limping into church some Wednesday night saying, oh God, I've been through hell. That's what's making your voice stronger than ever. When you go through hell and high water, when you go through the tribulation, when you go through adversity, God's given you a voice like you've never had before. Because when you get that voice, you can stand in any situation, whether it be on the mountain, whether it be in the valley, and say, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, and God is with me. And so that old man, that old man walked up and he said, you know, if, if one cow comes to feed and I feed that cow. And so the young man got back up and he took his Bible. He preached like there was no tomorrow, like it was a camp meeting or something. A conference. When he got through, the old farmer came back up. The old ranch said, son, when one cow shows up, I don't give him the whole load either. <laughs> Whatever that means. When the wise men showed up, when the wise men showed up at a small, humble house. See, Jesus was about two years old when the wise men came. And when they showed up at that small, humble house, and there was a carpenter there as a daddy and a, and a little teenager as a mother. And they show up at this house. A house, not a palace, a house. And they had brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, kingly gifts. I wonder if they ever thought, you know, we ought to maybe go change and go to Target and get a refund and and, and get something kiddish and get something that's less expensive because this doesn't look like a king's establishment. But they didn't. They walked into a lowly house, looked at a lowly carpenter, looked at a little teenage girl that everybody had made fun of, and they brought gold, and they brought frankincense, and they brought myrrh. Here's what I'm telling you. It doesn't matter how shabby life looks in your world. It doesn't matter how cold cut everything is in life around Christmas time. You hear me. When Jesus Christ touched your life, 
He's worth gold and frankincense and myrrh from you. He's worth the best you have. He's worth the longevity. Myrrh is bitter, but it stands for love. And he's worth your love. And he's worth your admiration. And frankincense, it means longevity. He's worth the length of your life of loving him. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Life is going to throw you a bunch of curves. And it's not always going to be Christmas. But I'm telling you, Jesus was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth. And those cities didn't define him. He defined those cities because he became Jesus of Nazareth. Why don't you define your family? Why don't you define your history? Why don't you define your surroundings and not let them define you? Oh, I'm preaching right now. I'm preaching right now. You need to define them and not let them define you. Jesus didn't go around making excuses. My mom was a 15-year-old kid, you know. We didn't have a whole lot. Maybe I can do something with this bread and fish. No, 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 no. He defined the city. He defined his mother. He defined Joseph. He defined everything that was great in his life. He defined it. Even Nazareth was great because he came out of a no-goodsville city. He, he, he made a name for himself. And I'm telling you, I'm, pe- I'm speaking to people from all levels of all walks of life, and I've got about three more minutes to preach. But I'm telling you something right now. God sees something you don't see in yourself sometimes. I read about an animal trainer. I was driving down the road one day. And he saw this dog tied to a telephone pole. And the dog was tied with a rope to a telephone pole. And there was a sign on the telephone pole that said, World's Dumbest Dog. <laughs> and that animal trainer went about two or three blocks down the road. And it, just, it, it ate him up. It bugged him. So he turns around. And he goes back to that telephone pole and he gets out of his car, gets on his knees and grabs that dog by his little old jaws and says, look in my eyes, boy, look in my eyes. And that dog looked in his eyes. He said, I see something in there, boy. You're free. I'm going to take you home. And so the dog gets in the back of his pickup. He takes the dog home. He trains him. And in six months, the dog is off the chart. He's off the chart. He takes him to his best, his first show. And the dog wins, not third, not second, first place. He goes to another show, first place. He never placed anywhere but first. World's dumbest dog was knocking every other dog, every other pedigree, every other hound out of the kennel. And so about a year and a half later, he comes back. This dog won him all kinds of money. And he comes back to that same pole. I love this story. And he has the same rope and the same dog. But now he's got a a little pool of water here, a little bowl of water that's got gold on it. And he's got some food here that's the best, kibbles and bits or whatever they feed him. I don't know. And he he puts a sign on the telephone pole, world's smartest dog, world's dumbest owners. The owner used to have you, Satan himself, said you never could survive. You never could make it. So he tied you up. He chained you up. And he said, you're the world's dumbest. You'll never make it in life. But there was somebody drove by your post one day. Somebody came by your house one day and said, I want to look in his eyes. And when Jesus looked in your eyes, he saw something greater than what the world said you was. 
He saw something awesome. He saw something wonderful. He saw something glorious. He said, I can make you to become what you need to be in the kingdom of God. And now when you're tied up to that post again, you're not tied up by hell. You're a prisoner of hope now. And he's showing you off. He said, look here. I found somebody that I saw something in. You're here today saved by the grace of God because God saw something in you that hell said you didn't have. Don't let Bethlehem and Nazareth destroy you. Don't let your past of nowhereville and no goodsville destroy you. Get your voice today. Get your voice today and say, I will make this relationship work. I will make our kids and us love each other. I will cause my family to come together. I will succeed and have a better job. I will do greater things in the kingdom of God. I will because once you get your voice, God's got a platform waiting on you because there's no stage too small for greatness in your life. Clap your hands real big. Let me conclude. Let me conclude. I want, I'd like to preach about destination disease, but I'm not going to talk about that. I'll do that later. Let me just mention it. There's a lot of folks that think if I can just get with smart people and get with big-time people, I can, you know, if I can find an actor, if I can find a golfer, if I can find a football player, if I can, find, if I can just get with somebody big, massive, name, a name, I'll be big. No, 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 no. You need to get so anointed with your own voice that they'll want to get with you. Boy, that'll preach. I know a kid personally that went to three large churches and said, if I can just get in with these churches, I'm going to be somebody. He's not even living for God today because he never got his voice and he tried to step into a destination and a subject that was so much bigger than him because he never got his own voice. You've got to believe that God is for you and God is with you. Let me tell you a story about a man in the Old Testament. You'll have to research him. He's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 25. His name was Heman. Heman. Heman had a bad background. He had a tough background. His dad was not the best, and his grandfather was one of the men, great-great-grandfather was one of the men that rebelled against Moses in the wilderness, but that's, that's another story. But Heman, Heman, if you read 1 Chronicles 25, you'll see that he was the main leader. He was the band director, the choir director of the dedication of Solomon. Are you with me? The dedication of Solomon's temple. He was the man. 288-voice choir plus an orchestra that went in and, he, and the glory of God got so great that the ministers could not even minister in that place because the singing brought the glory down. Are you with me now? Are you with me? I'm, I'm about done. But here's what, here's what I want to tell you. Heman didn't start there. He didn't start there. He didn't start there. When he first got started, I want you to look on the screen here. I'm going to show you a couple of three scriptures. First is First Chronicles 15. He was a cymbals player. He was a cymbals player. See, cymbals of uh, of brass. That's what he played. So in other words, when he started, he was back here in the back of David's orchestra and he held these cymbals, the whole song. And when the end of the song came, he got to go. Tsh, tsh, tsh. That was his, that was his whole job. Nobody wants to be the cymbal player in the back of the orchestra, but he was getting his voice. He was getting his voice. And God said, when you get your voice, I'm going to give you more subject. And so the next time you see him in First Chronicles, you see him, the Bible says, First Chronicles 16, him and him, they got him and, and Jaduthan became trumpet players. So he moved from the cymbals area to the trumpet area. 
and he started playing the trumpet. Then you see him again in First Chronicles chapter 25. He became a trio member of three of three man band. They were three dog night in the Old Testament. Okay, all right. Okay, he became a trio member, but God wasn't through yet because he was still getting his voice. You got to understand, you're not going to get on a big stage and have little voice. You're going to have a big voice from a small stage, but it doesn't matter because small stages can still produce greatness in your life. Don't look at somebody and say, he got all the breaks. She got all the breaks. No, 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 no. They just said, I'm going to get my voice. I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to be somebody in the kingdom of God. And God said, every time I see that, I'm going to promote you. And so the last promotion he got, he became the independent director of all the orchestra and all the singers. Wow. He started in the cymbal section, moved to the trumpet, to a trio, and then he got to become the man. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying there's no stage too small for greatness, for greatness. The last thing I would ever say to you is that God has caused greatness to come into my life. But I will tell you this. Let me tell you something. You know where I got my call? I got my call in a little town called Sundown, Texas. I'm through preaching. Randy, come help me. Sundown, Texas, population 895 people, one fire truck that had to have the battery charged because we never had fires. <laughs> but when it started, I got on my bike and I'd chase that fire truck. We had an ice man too, but nobody ever followed the ice man because he's cold. We wanted to go where the fire was. People still do today. Thought I'd preach that a little. 895 people on the back porch of that house when I was just a kid. God said, you're going to preach the gospel someday. And I said, God, no. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. And I forget when I first got into ministry, I'd get so so bumfuzzled. I couldn't even testify in church. I'd get so bumfuzzled. I'd get so bumfuzzled. I'd get my I'd get my words all confused, and I'd just go to crying. People get saved. I remember when I preached my first sermon. It was so bad. And when I got through preaching, I went and knelt down. I said, God, I told you if nobody got saved, I was going to quit preaching. About that time, the door opened, and two women walked in and came down and got saved and got baptized. And God said, you just preach, son. Let me do the saving. You don't have to be the Savior. I'll be the Savior. Okay. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying, was my ministry didn't start with big churches. My ministry started in those small symbol churches, in those places I was on the back row. Never got any accolades, never got any. Nobody ever knew who that was. My dad wasn't a preacher. I wasn't from a house of preachers. But I had a voice. God was giving me my voice. He was giving my voice to me. And now, now, I can look back and I can bless a sundown Texas. I can bless a little church in Leveland that had 30 on Easter and we thought we had a big crowd. I can look back at that now because I knew, I knew, I didn't ever know how to pastor a church. That had two or 3,000 members that didn't know how to do that. I'm learning just like you learned. I'm learning on the curve. I'm learning on the fly. But I do know one thing. That there's no stage too small for God to do something in your life. God can take you and make something out of you. It doesn't matter if you was born in Nowheresville and you was raised in No Goodsville. God can make you a person that will define that place and not let that place define who you are now. That's what I'm talking about what I'm talking about. So here I am today. Here I am. No, 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 no. I'm very humbly saying this. God's been good to me. But I get to preach to some of the finest people in all of America. 
the honor goes to you folks. You humble me to a point where I can't hardly take it sometimes. I can't hardly take it. I can't hardly stand it because I'm so blessed by the people that come to be a part of this church. And you continue to come. And the staff, every staff that I hire, when they, when they move on and start pastoring, I hire another staff. Every staff says, when they look at our church and say, wow, how'd this happen? Well, I know how it happened, but it's hard to explain it. You can't put it in a book. You can't, you can't put it in a bottle and people buy it and drink it. It won't happen. But I'll tell you what happened. I understood one day when I got my voice. I got my voice. I got my voice. And now God is saying there's no platform. There's no subject too big. This church has got a destiny that's greater than anything you've ever heard of and seen in your life. This church is not finished. It's just getting started. And 2015 is going to be a year of conquering, a year of blessing, and a year of favor on this church. I believe that with all my heart. You believe that? Clap your hands. Come on. Come on. Come on. I know we're going to fight. I know, I know we're going to have battles. I know we're going to have struggles. But every time you have a struggle, your voice is getting stronger. It's getting stronger. It's getting greater. Because God uses adversity to bring voice to your life. And then God, when you get that voice, gives you a subject. And gives you a foundation. And gives you a stage. And that stage becomes what God says. It don't matter how small it started. I'm going to bless you mightily. So this, this morning, I'm going to tell you, some of you are going to be blessed on your job this next year. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. You're going to be blessed in your family this year. Oh, what do you mean, Pastor? We're 55 and 52. You mean more kids? No. No. But maybe. Maybe. God's going to do great things for you because there's no stage too small. Are you with me? There's no stage too small for God's greatness in your life. Lift up your hands and praise Him right now all over the house. God's so And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.